Okay, we started a series a couple weeks ago called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. Uh, life is about decisions. We make, I came across a statistic, I don't believe it, but that's what I heard, 35,000 decisions a day. A lot of those are subconscious, but anyway, somebody calculated that. So, life's about decisions, and consequently, we make bad decisions, uh, we have regrets. So, today's topic is the legacy question. We're going to go through five questions to help you make better decisions. So, who doesn't love a good story? Who doesn't love a good story? Some people, my wife likes the Hallmark Channel. How many like Hallmark Channel? Put your hands up. Ladies? Got to be ladies, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. I say, why do you watch these? You know the end before it starts. You know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, this guy and this girl is going to meet, and they've got some kind of conflict initially, but they're going to live happily ever after, right? And so that's the kind of story she likes. But we watch movies, we watch TV shows, we read books. Uh, um, we love stories. I like science fiction, so I like science fiction movies and stories. Um, but that's just outside stories. But then we have inside stories. We have family stories, for example. Uh, growing up, I'm sure your parents told you stories about their growing up. My mom's from upstate New York. And she would tell us stories. She lived on a dairy farm. She'd tell us stories. In the winter, the snow would get as high as the telephone poles. And that, as a kid, that was mind-boggling to me. It still is. And she said they'd dig a, dig a tunnel from the house to the farm barn where the cows were in the snow <laughs> so they could uh, uh, milk the cows. My dad was from South Baltimore, so he'd tell me about stories about growing up there. So that's part of my growing up. Of course, now I have stories about my growing up and, and my adult life. And uh, I was just with my brother two weeks ago. I traveled down to North Carolina near Raleigh to help him lay some hardwood floors in his house. And so we were sitting there talking about when we were teenagers, we were laying hardwood floors for our dad. And then it was near Southeastern Seminary, and that's where I went for seminary. And I hated to drive down there two weeks ago and to drive back. When I was in seminary, I made that drive every week. I would travel back to either Glen Burnie or to Middletown and back to school. We didn't have school on Monday, so that made a little more sense. But I did that for three years. But I was young and dumb back then, right? So that's part of my story. So we all have stories of us growing up, stories of us being adults. Now, then we have our kids' stories. Now, our kids are adults now, and so they tell us stories about when they were teenagers Stuff that we never knew. And if the, we had known, they would have got in trouble. Now it's just kind of funny, right? Like, remember when we used to get up on the elementary school roof? What? You guys got up on the school, the Boonesbury Elementary School? Lived across the street from us. And stories maybe not as, <laughs> as innocent as that one, uh, we find out later. But life becomes a story that we all tell. And so when you meet somebody, you ask, hey, where are you from? Where'd you go to school? It's part of their story. Uh, of course, when we meet somebody and get married, that, that, that changes our story. So we all have stories. We all love stories. The thing is, in our present, current circumstances, we don't just think of them as stories. We just think of them as current events, life decisions, etc. But then... Today's activities will become tomorrow's story, right? 
So we're going to talk about stories, but let's do a little review. In this series, we talked about good questions help make good decisions. Better questions, better decisions. More questions, better decisions. Now, we all do this. We all ask questions when we're making decisions. Whether it's, you know, am I going to look nice in that clothes I put on? If you're married and, and you're a guy, your wife's always going to ask you, to, how does this look? How's my hair look? All that kind of stuff. We all make all kinds of decisions all the time. We have a grid. Does it look good? Does it make me feel good? Is it going to make me happy? Is it going to hurt anybody else? Hopefully, we would avoid those times. So we all have grids of questions we ask when making decisions. So we're just going to give you some help with some extra questions. Now, it's not enough to ask the questions. Um, we've all asked the questions and then didn't answer them or didn't answer them honestly. So you have to ask the question, then you have to answer honestly. Is this going to hurt somebody? Honestly, is it going to hurt somebody? Now, even that's not enough, is it? If we ask the question, we can answer it, but then we can still. We've all done what? Knew the right answer and did the wrong thing, right? So, we have to act on the honest answer. That will produce good results. Good decisions, fewer regrets. The other thing that's important to remember is you don't make these decisions in a vacuum. Nobody is a complete hermit that I know of. So you are interacting with other people. And so your decisions inter affect other people. Good decisions, good things happen to loved ones, family members, church members, people you work with, etc. Bad decisions, bad results. Now we have a basic um, uh, foundational verse for this series. And it's in Proverbs. Actually, it's in Proverbs twice. And it goes like this. And hopefully you're going to at least memorize the four concepts. First one is a prudent person, wise person, smart person. <laughs> hopefully we all want to be one of those, right? So what do we do? We foresee danger and take precautions. We don't think for just the moment. We think, okay, what's the consequences? Life is connected. Uh, what's going to be the results? And if it's going to be a negative result, I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to make a decision to get a, a better result. So that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin we've all experienced also is that we are simpletons, not too swift, not too smart. What do we do? We just kind of plow ahead. We don't think of the consequences, and we just do it. And then what happens? We suffer. We suffer the consequences of doing that. We also talked about, we all have this, I call it a, a salesperson in our head. And this salesperson in our head is trying to get us to do stuff, usually quicker or faster than we should, sometimes without thinking, uh, sometimes uh, to our negative nature, if you will, sinful flesh nature. And so uh, we have to deal with this. We've all made decisions, we've all done things, and we said, why did I do that? Or why did I say that? Why did I listen to that, that uh, salesperson in my head? So last week, we started off with uh, the integrity question. The integrity question. And that is, am I being honest with myself really? Now, I was thinking about this this week, and we were talking about it in my small group. And we are thinking, can you really even do that? Because who is the easiest person to deceive? I am, the person in the mirror. So if I'm easily deceived, it's hard for me to even answer this question honestly. But that's a goal. 
and strive to do that, to be really honest with our answers. Today we've got a new question, a legacy question, and that's basically this. What story do I want to tell? Or what story do I want people to tell about me? What a legacy am I leaving? What, you know, what's my story? <clears throat> when today is over again, it becomes part of our story. We don't think of it today, but tomorrow we'll say, yeah, I went to church yesterday, or I watched uh, the church service yesterday. Uh, it snowed, and maybe, you know, you got trapped in the snow, or whatever it might be. Uh, this, what story do I want to tell? Do I want a story about driving in the snow and uh, sliding off the road to, this afternoon? I don't think anybody wants that to be part of our story, especially if it does any kind of damage to our car or to, any, to our body. So what story do I want to tell? <clears throat> you and I are writing our stories. We're writing our stories every decision or one decision at a time. Decision to come to church is part of your story. Decision to stay home is part of your story. Decision to drive in the snow is part of your story. Decision to stay home, hopefully, is part of your story. Uh, those who are with children, you're making decisions all the time. Some people brought children to church this morning. Uh, some people decided not to. All this is part of our stories. Now, for example, your boss could ask you to lie to a customer, shade the truth, if you will. And so you decide to do that. You lie to a customer. The customer finds out. Your boss puts the blame on you, and you get fired. Not a very good story, right? Boss could ask you to lie to a customer, and you say, decide, no, I'm not going to do that, and then they fire you for not doing what they sold you. Still not a very good story, but I think a better story than the first story, right? Uh, you've met somebody. You're single, you met somebody. For most of us, a lot of us, it's in the past. And you met somebody, and they're, and they're not just quite right for you, but we all think what? We'll change them. And some people have been married and then wound up divorced because they found out they couldn't change then. So we make those decisions. I don't know if you married the first person you ever dated. I didn't. And so you made that decision that wasn't the right person for you. Maybe when you're back in school, high school or college, and, and your friend said, hey, you don't need to study for that test. Let's go have some fun. And you had a decision to make, right? Hopefully you made the decision to study and you got good grades and then you can move on with your life that way. <clears throat> so the question is, is this a story you want to tell? Flunking out of college, I don't think is a story you want to tell. I certainly wouldn't want to do that. Now, part of, the, part of this that makes, part of what that makes this so difficult is when we're in stressful situation, situations, when we're in those valley situations, maybe we're unemployed or or we're butting heads with our spouse or our loved ones or with our kids, or we're having health issues. Um, when we're in those valleys, uh, the pressure of the decisions often results in us not making the best decisions, right? I used this example last week of uh, married people having affairs. So I looked up the statistics this week, and here's what I found. 15% <clears throat> of married women have affairs. 25% of married men have affairs. Now, men, shame on us. <laughs> All right? Uh, so if you know four couples, the chances are one of those men has had an affair. Now, 
You don't have affairs when your marriage is good, do you? I don't think you do. I've never had one. Uh, but normally it's when your marriage isn't so good. And some of these, they don't have the statistic for what we call an emotional affair, but these are actual uh, physical affairs. Um, so we make bad decisions when we're in stressful situations. <clears throat> but I put on your outline, isn't it true that we would all like to be, I use the word, the hero in our story, right? Whether it's like I can say, hey, I built my house. I'm the hero of that story. Um, we all would like to be, have a good story to tell about ourselves. Now, we all have made mistakes and we all have, have regrets. But that would be our goal, right? I want to be the hero, especially to my kids um, in, their in my story. Another complication, or one we already talked about, is there are no emotionalist decisions, right? Because we can't be emotionless. We're emotional people. There are no emo emotionally neutral decision-making situations. In fact, our emotions fog up the situation, uh, cloud it up. I shared this in the first service. Um, my wife and I got engaged a long time ago. And about a month into our engagement, I get a call from her. I think it was on a um, weekend. Maybe it was a Friday, and saying, I'm, I'm going to break up with you. Okay, we're engaged. I'm going to give you a ring back. Right. Well, I remember about this. This was 1976. There was like a, this would have been in October. It was uh, just one of these, uh, hur a hurricane almost. Just the roads were blocked. There was so much rain. So I could only talk to her on the phone. But by Sunday, I, I, I saw her in church, and after church, we, we started talking. And, and she changed her mind. I asked her at the first service if that was a good decision. She said yes. Well, she hesitated first. I said, she's still trying to figure it out after 45 years. It was a good decision. But anyway, um, our emotions get involved. She was getting nervous about getting married. And, and she was only 18. And I was 20, 20, 25 that month. But anyway, um, you know, I'm older, older man. <laughs> So uh, emotions get involved, and we make decisions. We all worry about things, right? Worry is an emotion. Uh, we all have made bad decisions because we worried about things that didn't happen or wouldn't happen. <clears throat> Salespeople know that if you leave the showroom, high possibility you're not going to come back and buy whatever that, what they're selling, whether it's a car or TV or whatever it is. Why is that? How do they know that? Because once you and I are away from the showroom, away from the product, what happens to our emotional level? It goes down, right? The emotional connection with that product goes down. That's the problem with internet buying, right? Uh, you can't get away from it. So we all have biases. And I came across a new word for, my, for me this week, and it, it describes this perfectly. And it's called focalism. In fact, on the computer, it, sh it, it shows up as one of those, you know, not real words. But then you look at, Google it, look it up in the dictionary, it's there. So here it is. The tendency for people, we're all people, <laughs> to give too much weight to one particular piece of information. Our bias. When making judgments or predictions. Now, we've all done this. 
Have you ever relationally infatuated with a person? You can't see any of their flaws. They're just, they're just perfect, right? Uh, maybe with a product, with a major purchase. You're infatuated with it. You know, there's no downside to it. There's no problems with it. You're going to find some way to pay for it, whatever it might be. <clears throat> so that complicates the decision-making process. Another thing is this. When we are making decisions in the present, we're only thinking about options. We're not thinking about our story, are we? You know, I came to church this morning. I didn't think, well, my story tomorrow is going to be I went to church yesterday. I just thought my options are to go to church or not. Since you guys pay me to be here, I normally show up or almost always show up. So we, we deal with that wants and we like to think of them as needs instead of wants. And, and so that's what we're thinking. We're not thinking story. We're not thinking legacy. We're not thinking history. Another thing that happens when we're making decisions is what I'm going to call red flags. Um, Sometimes there are concrete red flags. Sometimes it's just, I don't feel, there's just something wrong. I don't feel good about deciding this or deciding that. These red flags pop up. You don't always know what they are. You just have this disturbing or uncomfortable feeling about making a decision. Now, in the end, it may be a good decision. I played with my wife and marrying me. That was a good decision, even though at one point it was a red flag for her. A uh, financial decision, it, it, you might have red flags, but do some research and eventually you say, yeah, that's a good decision. Um, health decision, whatever kind of decision they would be. Now, I have a couple basic red flags that I deal with. <clears throat> and one of them is, if somebody tries to pressure me to make a decision now, my fallback is I automatically decide I'm not going to do it. If you can't give me time to think about it, then this is gonna, I'm not going to do this, even though it's a good thing. Uh, another one for me is this, if it sounds too good to be true, it is not true. Yeah. So that, that, you know, we, we probably all get these emails like, you know, I'm dying and I, I've got some millions of dollars and I want to give it to you. In my case, sometimes it's to my ministry and uh, too good to be true. I don't waste my time with those things. So red flags come up. So when red flags co show up or come up, what do, we, what do we need to do? We need to consider our story. Do I really want this to be part of my story? Whatever that red flag do. Do I want this uh, purchase decision to be part of my story? I don't know about you folks, but we bought timeshare once upon a time, considered a bad decision. Some people still like it. Um, that's part of our story. Uh, maybe if I thought about it being my story, we wouldn't have done that. But anyway. One other thing before we get to Scripture this morning. Decision-making, especially change to making changes, is hard, isn't it? It's hard to change us. It's hard to make the decisions against our, our nature. But here's the, here's the reality. Regrets are harder. Dealing with the consequences of bad decision is harder. <clears throat> so, powerful question. We're gonna, we could, this is a book of stories, right? <laughs> We're going to look at one. Um, but a powerful question is, do we want this to be part of our story? Now, the person we're going to look at this morning is from the book of Genesis. Who do you think gets the most ink in the book of Genesis? Who is the person in the book of Genesis that's written, most written about? Any guesses? People present? 
We've got Abraham, we've got Isaac, we've got Jacob or Israel. Uh, I thought it would be Abraham, right? He's the father of the Jewish nation. You've got kind of Abraham and Moses as the two biggies in the Old Testament. But it's not. It's the guy we're going to look at this morning. His name is Joseph. Joseph gets the most ink. You've got the most story of anybody in the book of Genesis is about Joseph. And probably more than a lot of characters in the Bible. So, the story about Joseph begins when he's about 17 years old, right? Teenager. Now, his father's rich, and he's the favorite son. At this point, there are 11 sons. Four moms, 11 sons. Strange situation. But he's the favorite because he's the only son at this point of Jacob's favorite wife, all right? So he, he was he pretty much what we consider a spoiled brat at this point, right? And uh, his father gives him this special coat. And he has these dreams. He tells his brothers, one day you're going to bow down to me. Now, if your younger brother told, that, told you that, how would you feel about it? Not too good. Now, Joseph evidently wasn't working at this point. His ten older brothers are out working in the fields. And his dad says, hey, go check on your brothers. He sends them out to check on them. His brothers see him coming, and they said, at this point, they've had enough, okay? Now, a little strange for our thinking that we're going to kill your sibling, but that's what they decide to do. We're going to get rid of this guy. We'll uh, put some blood on his coat, take it to his dad, and say, hey, uh, some animal killed him. Well, long story short, probably most of you know the story, uh, this caravan comes along, and they think, going headed to Egypt, and they think, well, why don't we just... Yeah, make some money off this kid. We'll sell him and still follow through with our story. So that's what they do, and they go tell their dad. Now, something that we need to remember, that these ten brothers, guess what? They have a secret. In fact, they have made themselves what? Liars for life. Actually, it's turned out it wasn't for life. It's probably 25 years later. Dad finds out, the, the, finds out the truth. So when you and I lie, <laughs> when you and I <clears throat> keep secrets, the quest, basic question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Well, <clears throat> so Joseph, spoiled brat, most likely, is now a slave. Now, one thing that's really amazing about Joseph is this. He was a victim. He hadn't done anything except for maybe brag to his brothers, uh, deserving his situation. So he was a victim of somebody else's decision, but he decided not to live like a victim. Maybe you know people like this. His situation was not his fault. You know, all of us have had bad things happen to us and it wasn't our fault. How do we deal with those? How do we react to those. Now, what I would expect out of Joseph, especially being uh, one of these rich kids, was he would be poor pitiful me. He would try anything to get out of a situation. He would probably not uh, put any energy into a situation. Uh, just kind of do as little as possible. <clears throat> but that's not what Joseph does. So he sold... A second time, he sold to Potiphar. Some of you know the story. 
and he's kind of a rich guy. Um, so what am I going to do? Am I just going to do as little as possible, or am I going to work hard, even though I'm in this terrible situation that I don't deserve? He might say it this way. Do I want to have a story worth telling? That I was giving Potter for a hard time and doing as little as possible? No. What he decides, and there's a God component here, he decides, I'm going to be the best slave Potiphar has. All right? And it turns out he is. And eventually Potiphar realizes this guy is a great slave. And so we'll pick up the story there. It's just in Genesis uh, 39, I believe. <clears throat> Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing. Except for one thing. Now, I had a laugh about this. What's the one thing you think this guy worried about? <laughs> Except what kind of food to eat. I don't know about you, you folks. My wife and I call ourselves foodies. We, we just, just like food. And uh, we have our, our special diet, but we just like good food. And my wife loves grocery shopping for food. And so this was this guy's major concern after he put Joseph in charge was his food. Don't you love how real the Bible is? But anyway, uh, text goes on. Joseph was very handsome and well-built young man. Well, why would the writer include that in the story? Well, because it was significant. Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Now, this was probably part of her nature. Uh, she probably had done this in the past. If she found a handsome uh, slave, she might have uh, wanted to have relationships with him. So she says to him, come and sleep with me. In fact, she demanded this. Now, if you're a slave and your master or master's wife tells you to do something, what are your options? Not very many, right? He's kind of in a no-win situation or a lose-lose situation or even worse, a death, not life and death situation, but death-death situation. Either option is not good. Now, he does something that's a powerful option, if you will, a powerful technique that you and I can use when we're dealing with difficult situations. So what does he do? He refuses. But he didn't just say no. He explains the consequences of, hey, if I do this, this is what's going to happen. If I do that, you know, something else is going to happen. And that's what you and I can do. That's what a prudent person does. Looks at the consequences of their decision. So he said, look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. He's put great trust in me. And he says, no one else has more authority than I do. I basically run, run your household. Um, he has held back nothing from me except you. All right? So I have control of everything in his household except you, his wife, of course. So then he said, how could I do such a wicked thing to him, an evil thing? How could I betray his trust and do this, this, this terrible thing? But then there's the God component. He said, it would be a great sin against God, against, against my God. So what was her story? She was immoral. She wanted to have relationships with, with, with her slaves. Um, but Joseph had these two options. And he decides, no, I'm not going to do that. 
we're going to see the consequences of a decision, but the important thing to remember is his story wasn't over at this point, was it? Even though bad things were going to happen to him. And so he refuses, she lies. Uh, amazingly, Potiphar doesn't have him killed. He has him put in prison. So we don't know how old he is at this point. He's probably 20, 21 years of age, been a slave for four, three or four or five years. Now he's not a slave anymore in a rich man's house. He is a prisoner. And prisons weren't nice back then like they are today. Nice in living conditions, nice. So again, decision. I don't deserve this. I'm, I'm going to, you know, poor pitiful me, do as little as possible, or what? Do I want to have a story worth telling? So he goes to work works hard in the prison, eventually guess, guess what happens? <laughs> he becomes basically running the prison, even as a prisoner. Most of you know the story. He interprets some dreams for some guy that worked for the pharaoh, and he tells him uh, uh, truthfully what happens, and that's what happens. He says, don't forget me, when to, the, to God is restored to his job, and the guy forgets him. Two years later, the pharaoh has a dream, nobody can interpret it for him, and, the, and his cupbearer says, ah, I remember this guy who can interpret dreams back in prison two years ago. And so, they clean up Joseph, they bring him in before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream and he interprets the dream. He says, okay, God wants you to know there's going to be seven great years and, uh, and uh, plenty and there's going to be seven years of famine. All right? So, now, this is years later. This isn't like days later or weeks later. This is years later. In fact, we're going to find out he's been a prisoner until he's 30 years of age. So, <clears throat> but then Joseph does something. Well, let's read about the dream. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night. No one can tell me what it means, but I have heard that you hear about a dream. You can interpret it. Now, if I'm Joseph, I say, yeah, I can do that for you. But that's not what Joseph does. What does Joseph say? He said, no, I can't do that. <laughs> now, again, he's in front of the most powerful person in the world. And he says, no, I can't do that. <laughs> he says, no, it's beyond my power to do this. But, great but, God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Now, at this point, Joseph does the unthinkable. When you're a slave in front of the most powerful person in the world, you just answer questions. You don't offer any suggestions. But that's exactly what he does. Put it on your outline. Unsolicited advice. And then he said, hey, and, and by the way, Pharaoh, I think this is what you ought to do. You ought to hire somebody to start collecting uh, grain during these seven good years. And then when, it, when the bad years come, they can be in, in, uh, in charge of distributing it. So your people will, will, will survive during this famine time. Now, Joseph could have been executed uh, for doing this. But Scripture tells us what happens. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can you find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Which is interesting because the Pharaohs considered themselves gods. This is a different God. Then the text goes on. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of my dreams to you, Clearly no one else is as intelligent, as wise, there's our word, 
as you are. You will be in charge of my court and my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a higher, rank higher than yours. So Joseph decided well and he went, woke up that morning in prison, went to bed that day as the second most powerful person in the world. And so, it plays out. The dream plays out. Joseph is 30 years old at this point. So the next seven years, there's plenty. The next, he gets married, has some kids. Uh, then we're nine years later. His brothers show up because they're starving in Israel. He recognized them. I'll fast forward the story. Um, eventually, he tells them who he is. And when they find out, they're, they're scared to death because this man has power and they're at his mercy. He brings the whole family to Egypt. But he decides, and I put it on your outline this way, he decides, he made a mental decision against his desire, emotional desire to do what? What would you and I want to do? Get revenge. Get even with these guys, right? They treated you so badly. If you read the text, it's even more amazing than that. He says to his brothers, don't even feel bad about what you did to me because it was God's plan so that, I, that, that you and all our family could survive and prosper. So, almost 4,000 years ago, this story happened, and I'm sitting here sharing it with you today. He decided a story worth telling. In fact, he decided a story was worth being included in this book. So the question is, will you and I decide a story worth telling? Bring that up, please. <clears throat> Every decision you and I make are part of our story. We can't undo the past, but we can make better decisions in the future. Ask yourself, do you, is this a story you would be proud of? I'm proud of the fact that I've helped build churches this church, buildings, uh, churches, uh, other places. I've built houses. I've helped people uh, do things uh, in their houses. Of course, I've been a minister of the gospel for 40 years. I I'm proud of them. I have some things I'm not proud of, but I have those things that I'm proud of, and I'm sure you do too. So here's your next step. What story do you want your life to tell? And if you're a Jesus follower, this is extra, extra important because you want it to be a story that points people to Jesus. I do. I pray that you do. Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, thank you. Thank you for the story of Joseph. It's such an amazing story. Not only that he could live not like a victim even though his circumstances weren't his fault, but they could get above the motion of revenge. And God, we've all made mistakes. Hopefully most of us have more of a good story to tell than not. Uh, but help us to make the decision to have a good story to tell from the decisions we're making, whether it's about relationships, uh, financial decisions, whatever it might be. Of course, the most important decision any of us has to make is in our relationship with God.
We are sinners lost and separated from God. And we thank you that you gave your son Jesus so that situation could be rectified, could be fixed. And so most of us have accepted that gift, confessed our sins, accepted Jesus as our Savior. So we want to pray for anyone that may be considering that. We, we would urge you, encourage you to make that decision, to make your life right with Jesus. That's a story worth telling. Again, we thank you, God, for your gift to your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.